So the recalling, remembering, the sati, here and now dhamma, pachubana dhamma. So like this morning entering the temple, the kind of uh, lighting the candle in front of the effigy of Lumpur Cha, that's personal uh, ceremony because of gratitude, remembering the Lumpur Cha is a way of composing, of being here and now. It's not kind of worshiping uh, <coughs> the memory of a person, but a memory of a teacher that uh, had significant influence to, for the insight to see, to recognize Pachubana Dhamma, or the here and now, or the Dhamma, the way it is. So that's, uh, <clears throat> you know, this is how I particularly use the symbols, the temple itself. As a, the ceremonies then are not just kind of uh, customs we perform dutifully, perfunctorily, but how to use the ceremonies for awakened awareness. They're like using convention for supporting ego, uh, separation, views, opinions, or to use convention for seeing that, for seeing the sense of self involved in, in uh, how we use the conventions that we have. Then lighting the candles, incense in front of the shrine, And, you know, after the insight, we still have to live our lives as a human individual. So, uh, you know, people have criticized uh, <coughs> religious ceremonies, saying it's, uh, the Buddha never did morning chanting or evening chanting. <laughs> they never were any Buddha rupas at the time of the Buddha. I mean, these kind of uh, observations are true, you know. But it's, it's uh, what is your intention for making them? And how do we use the, the symbols that we do have? And of course, that <laughs> that's up to you. You can use them, you can dismiss them as superstition or unnecessary, just dismiss them, or you can project all kinds of magical powers onto Lumpur Cha's image or the Buddha Rupas. Or, what I recommend is uh, remembering this sati sampachanya here and now dhamma. So religious icons, uh, you know, it's up to you how you use them in themselves. <coughs> they are what they are. So this uh, unborn, uncreated, unformed, unoriginated, unconditioned, here and now, and I've been repeating this uh, over and over again during this retreat, so that, you know, by repetition, by pointing, because there's no way, I can't point to it as a thing. I can keep pointing, using these words, this retreat specifically to encourage you to awaken. It's an imminent act within yourself, not, not an object that I'm pointing to that anyone can see or observe as an object of the senses. So it's like the awakening of an individual is from inside. It's not, you know, me awakening you. Or that by sitting for hours uh, that you're going to suddenly become enlightened not about me anymore becoming anything, but of recognizing that simplicity, imminent, awakened consciousness, rather than me trying to get it. You see, so this is 
this is the, the, the subtlety that, that people miss when they practice meditation. Many, of, many people just fail to get that. They always idea of doing something and getting a result in the future. And that's the, the cultural mindset that we have. It's the work ethic, the reward for doing something, hard work in the present would be re rewarded in the future. That I'm not good enough the way I am now, I have to do something to make myself better and become I'm an ignorant, unenlightened person. I meditate in order to become an enlightened one. So these are the this is the Sakaya Ditti, the first fetter, which is very much influenced by the cultural conditioning, Sila Bhattabharamasa. We come from a, a society that's based on that, on reward punishment, on doing something now to get a result in the future. And of course that is the worldly condition. That's the way it is in the world. You know, for worldly success, for getting the, the, the good fortune, the position, the rewards in the world, then we have to, most people have to do something in the present to, to get what they want in the future. But recognize that the, that the Buddha Dhamma was, was not about becoming anything or, or about the future, but of Pachubhanatama, here and now, awakened consciousness, which is not something you lack. I mean, the consciousness is is your very being. You know, it's not not something you you don't have, or you're, you know, you've got to find it by doing something. It's a matter of not doing anything, being observing. Surrendering, surrendering yourself to the Pachubhanatamma. But even that can become another thing you should be doing, isn't it? Whatever, whatever words I say, if you grasp the words themselves, it becomes, that's not what I mean, that's not what I'm pointing at, not at the words. <clears throat> but the words are meant to help you to reflect, to encourage, uh, to invite you. So this, this image of leading the horse to the stream, leading the horse to the water. <laughs> you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink the water. So this retreat, 10-day retreat, uh, you know, oh, and the winter's retreat, the whole three months, is, is uh, dedicated to this. In fact, the whole life, isn't it? The Samana life that we live, it's, its whole purpose is this awakeness. Nothing else. And when we start using it for worldly positions, for worldly values, then that's, you know, that's on a worldly level, it's understandable. <coughs> But it's like being given the key to the prison cell and uh, using it to clean your fingernails or something. <laughs> You're not uh, using it for what it's meant to, for. I know in my own practice, the the insight into the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. That happened very early for me. So, it, uh, you know, I did have that before I even met Lung Po Cha. So, it, uh, but it's still, even after the insight, the old habits, Descend, you know. You, when I went to, uh, when I took the uh, Upasambada and went to spend the Vasa with Lung Po Cha in Uborn, 
you know, the, I had the insight, but the habit tendencies were still very strong, the powerful memories, emotional habits, uh, which were reflected by, by joining that monastery. You know, it's the, your ego, the sense of yourself is, is highly uh, stimulated by throwing yourself into, uh, into a different, totally different situation that you, you don't, uh, you know, that you find uh, alien, strange, foreign, different language, different food, uh, very restrained, very strict traditional form. Uh, you know, just being uh, this foreigner where everything uh, had to be learned just on a conventional level, you know, rearranged in according to uh, the Thai forest tradition as, as I experienced it with Lung Po Cha. Learning an, another language, which I've never found that easy to do. Eating strange tasting food and living, you know, on, in, uh, in a different a way, totally different than anything I'd ever encountered. So, I mean, of course, this, this would trigger off all kinds of emotional reactions. And the Sakaya Ditti, the sense of myself was heightened by, all, by that encounter. So and then, because of the uh, insight that I had, you know, I did have some inkling of what to do with it. It wasn't that I always did it. It was so much easier just to go along with my own feelings or believe my own opinions. Uh, because that's what I was used to, even though the insight into that was that you know, all conditions are impermanent and not self, still it was much more easy for me to proclaim myself and believe my own feelings and views <clears throat> than to look at them. Because it did take a determination. And, and when your feelings are being, uh, you know, challenged all the time, in ways that, you know, if, I'd, if I could live life on my own terms, I wouldn't have put myself in, you know, I would have lived in a way that it wasn't so uh, difficult for me personally to change. But the insight I had was that that's what I needed. I needed to learn how to restrain myself, how to obey somebody else. One of the strong, powerful insights I had as a Samanera in Nongkai was that I, you know, I didn't, I didn't like authority at all. And I'd, know, I'd lived my life very much in a way to try to manipulate conditions to get out of situations where uh, I didn't want to be under anybody or feel uh, beneath them. This is a strong American habit of, of uh, you know, we're all the same. And uh, equality was my, my uh, Sila Bhattabharamasa position. So in that way, you know, I found it very difficult to relate how to obey, how to perform duties. Uh, and so this is one reason why I chose this monastery, Wat Pa Pong in, in Northeast Thailand, seeing that this was a defect. If I, if I didn't learn how to obey, if I didn't learn how to submit, how to bow, how to, how to perform my duties, you know, even with the insight, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get very far because there'd be this obstruction. So it's, uh, you know, seeing the value of the structure that I didn't create. You know, I chose to go to Lung Pho Chai. I wasn't forced to go there. There wasn't, 
you know, something that somebody made me do. I've deliberately chose, asked, requested to go there, knowing fairly well what I was getting into, but also wanting to learn from it, from that kind of situation. So then this uh, 10 years uh, with uh, under Lung Po Cha, in living in that tr tradition in Thailand. So it was, uh, you know, I, when I look back now over <coughs> those, you know, I have great nostalgia for those years. <laughs> it's strange how, how, you know, the difficulties of it don't, don't seem very much anymore because uh, I have an incredible gratitude and appreciation uh, and for having had the opportunity. And of course it was transforming, it was transforming me from this uh, person, this unhappy person into uh, at least uh, a confidence in awareness that I'd never had or never would have hoped to have had otherwise. So there's confidence in awareness. Like many of you have had the insights, you know, into the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. But then uh, the, the, um, the conditioning factor, the Sakyaditi Silabhata Bharamasa Wichikichi, it doesn't just dissolve at that moment, it's gone at that moment, but it's an insight, and then, it, then uh, we kind of fall back into the old patterns easily. Me and mine, what I think, cultural assumptions, attitudes, prejudices, emotional habits, believing our own thoughts and opinions. And so this, this is why this, it's the emphasis on examining, investigating Sakya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa Wichikicha. I found this, you know, when you, people want to know whether, you know, what Sotapanna, Sakadakami, Anakami, Arahant mean. You know, it can be, you know, as we read it in the scripture, it's oftentimes interpreted as stages of personal development. You know, and in Buddhist countries, you know, like Thailand or Sri Lanka, people will still talk about somebody being a stream enterer or an arahant or an anagami, you know, as if it was some kind of personal attainment. And this is where we need to notice that if if that's what it is, you know, if it it sounds just like sakyaditi to me, it's just taking these uh, desired states because wanting to attain and achieve arahantship, you know, can be create a desire, you know, personal habit tendency to want to get something that sounds, you know, like lim the top, you know, I've reached the top of the pile, I'm the arahant, I've, I've, uh, I'm the best, I'm the winner. And that's Sakyaditi, so it's like taking the term arahant and, uh, and using it for something that it had, had, was, was not meant for, wasn't meant to be taken in that way as some kind of personal ability or achievement or attainment. So when you, when you contemplate the arahant, which is the summum bonum, which is the, in terms of when, when that is recognized, then there's no self anymore. There's nothing to become. No attachment. No ignorance, no self. All the, the uh, 
Sake Diti Silabhatabhamasa have dropped away at stream entry, then then the uh, once that is out of the way, once you've seen the path, seen the stream, then it's to cultivate that, the bhavana. What is uh, sad to see with so many of you always operating from Sakyaditi. You know, it's... Uh, you see it in, uh, in the way Westerners interpret Buddhism. It's, uh, you know, after years, people can still talk about attaining, achieving, not attaining, not achieving, not getting what I wanted out of this. Uh, talking about future lives, be, you know, using this one to become a bodhisattva or uh, something better in the next life. Or to uh, feel like a failure after being very diligent, sitting for hours and going on retreats and uh, intensive retreats in Burma and Thailand, Sri Lanka, all over the world, going off living in, in mountains and, and uh, isolated places, practicing diligently, developing samadhi, concentration, but always from the, never from the, from the awareness level. It's always attaining, achieving me, getting something. And so this is, you know, like uh, that was my ideal in, in Nongkai, was to go off, be all alone like a hermit. Because uh, that's what I thought you had to do, just isolate yourself from everybody and just, uh, you know, through, through uh, diligent practice, hard work, sitting, developing samadhi, attain achieving, I would be able to uh, become enlightened. Then the reality of living with Lung Po Cha was, uh, wasn't quite what I was looking for actually. The Vinaya, the strictness, I, I quite agreed with that, learning to train how to, how to live in a restrained way, how to follow, how to obey how to conform. But then, you know, there's, you had to live in a community, of a growing community, uh, where you had to cooperate, work together. So every day we had to, we had, uh, afternoon they'd ring the bell at three and we'd all have to go and, and draw water from the well and distribute it. It took several hours usually uh, in the afternoon carrying water in buckets on bamboo poles to, to the uh, bathing places, the kitchens, the, the, the bathroom, the uh, toilets and so forth. Because there was no plumbing there. It was all third world primitive life. And so Ajahn Chah's idea was to keep it like that because he, he wanted us to depend on each other to do things, not to be hermits or be independent, you know, I can, uh, that we needed to help each other as a community. This was the, the, uh, what he would tell me. Being from my background, of course, I wanted to be independent. I don't like having to ask another monk to, to come and help me draw water from a well. I'd much rather not bother somebody. If we had a pump on the well, I could pump it up all by myself, not bother anyone else. This is my Sakyaditi Silabhataparamasa habit. You know, very much, that's why I fit well into this society here in England. Don't want to be a nuisance. Don't want to bother you. Uh, so, you know, if I have to need water, if I need water, I'd just rather 
go and get it myself than go and ask you to help me draw it up in a bucket. So, I mean, this is, uh, but Lumpur Cha's attitude was, he wanted us to depend, to, to support each other in just these very physical, necessary ways of just getting water, helping each other to wash the robes. You had to use these natural dye, these uh, jackfruit wood dye that took a lot of preparation. Wasn't easy thing to be doing. And you needed people to help you. You couldn't, it was impossible to do it all on your, all by yourself. If I could have gone to the supermarket and bought a packet of dye, <laughs> the right color, and then dyed my robes, that's how my mind works. You know, the cultural conditioning is I can do it myself. I'm independent. I don't want to bother anyone else. Well, of course, that was, uh, you know, I could see that just by living within that structure <clears throat> uh, where we, ha we actually needed each other. You know, we needed to, I needed other monks to help me dye my robes, make robes. We all had to make our own uh, monastic robes, dye them in this uh, jackfruit dye. And so, and then the arms round, when you're young, then I could, they, I'd always go on the longest uh, bindabatas to the f most faraway villages. I remember one wasa, uh, Santajito, which is, who is now Steve Saslov, who many of you know, uh, he, he, he was uh, Santajito then, he and I determined to to go to this village quite far away from Wat Pong every morning. And so you had to, you know, you had to leave quite early at dawn. And then, uh, and it's of course the rainy season during the Vasa, it means a rainy season. So you're, you're wading through paddy fields and uh, or you have to pull your robes up around your waist so they won't get wet. Carry an umbrella, your arms bowl, Bindabat in a rather poor village, and come back. And I remember <laughs> it's quite we determined this, and we we walked every day for for that vasa in the rain, in the in the through rice paddies, and you get these terrible uh, fungi on your feet. Feet started rotting, things <laughs> like this. You know, you, uh, it that sounds like maybe a romantic image of, uh, you know, Buddhist monks in an exotic country like Thailand going on an alms round. And it might be kind of romantic and exotic if you don't have to do it a few times, but when, when you're doing it every, every morning for three months, and when it rains there, the monsoon is not, you know, it's not the dribbly kind of rain you get here. It's torrential downpours. And so this is, uh, you know, these are, you know, I'm not bragging about hardships or anything, but pointing to how to use these situations. Having to, you know, learn how to endure, how to do that which you've determined not for personal achievement, but for mindfulness. Well, you know, there was a, a measure of pride in, the, you know, having making the determination and then the pride of not wanting to give up uh, and prove that I could do it, hold to my determination, my aditana. That was, you know, that was, that part of me was certainly stimulated in that endeavor. But the main point was not that, not to prove myself as some very, you know, tough Buddhist monk who could take it, but actually to, to observe the self, 
the different emotional reactions, the pride, the determination, the stubbornness, the, the whinging, the complaining, sumato, all this would come up during, you know, the, for observation, to see, to observe the sakaya ditti that would arise in these particular instances. Well, here in Amarbati we have our own challenges, as you well know. So not like rice paddies, wading through rice paddies in the monsoon, but, you know, so don't, don't make th that is a real, what we have to do. But see that the life here, the, the way that the Sakya Ditti arises, how living here at this particular place, what it does to your mind, how it affects you, the sense of yourself as a person, views and opinions, cultural attitudes. So you're using the situation for reflection, not for personal investment, or to believe your own, you know, to, to make your own views and opinions the, the important thing in your life. But to begin to see even if you have very good views and opinions, they are that. An opinion is an opinion. So it's not that, you know, opinions are bad, but they are conditions. They arise according to other conditions. And we tend to identify with them. What I think, what I want is uh, right. It should be like this, shouldn't be like that. And then because we feel right, then we, we, we tend to feel critical when, somebody, when it isn't what we think it should be. So this, uh, that's why it's, without this reference to the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, without that recognition, and then it's very difficult, you know. It's just, it's, the Sakiditi goes into, I shouldn't complain about anything. I should surrender. I should just give up, surrender my rights and just do, perform my duties. I've got to keep the Vinaya uh, in order to not feel guilty. I've got to be a good monk, a good nun, and do all the right things in order to be rewarded for it or not be punished for disobeying rules, not to be chastised or admonished for not keeping the vinaya, And uh, it, this whole Sakya Ditti uh, is just increased through not having any reference point outside of it. So we can, we can use the, the, uh, the discipline, the, the, the uh, tradition we're in, everything else, to reinforce Sakya Ditti. And this is, uh, you know, this is sad to see because that's not, not the point of it. It's not, not about creating a different kind of Sakya Ditti. You know, your old lay person, uh, pride, conceit, vanity, you, you just have contempt for and throw away to uh, make yourself into this ideal, this perfect image of a Buddhist samana. Or trying to, to just, it's like changing, you know, changing costumes really. Putting on a, you know, shaving your head is just a different costume you, you wear than you would if you were a lay person. So is it just, you know, is it just changing the conditions to, a, to identify with Buddhist conditions. Is that what we're doing? We're becoming Buddhists, uh, where before we were just maybe, you know, skeptics, ex-Christians, Jews, or whatever we were, <laughs> uh, how we saw ourselves when we were lay people, and then we, we become 
Buddhist monks, Buddhist nuns. So we become Buddhists, and uh, and that's just uh, you know the 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 suffering is still going to be there, and even if you adopt all the Buddhist terms, the Buddhist forms, the Buddhist culture, it's still dukkha, still suffering, it's still not liberation. So then they, how to use the forms? And this is, you know, like the Four Noble Truths. <coughs> that is the, that is the tool that I, that I, that I have used for getting to the causes of dukkha and the realizing the cessation. The realizing cessation of dukkha. And that takes investigation. You know, it's not, not a magic wand. It, uh, it need, you need to really use it and apply it to our life here at this place and with the people we're living with and with the conditions uh, and situations that arise. So if I feel, if I'm suffering, if I, you know, whatever happens, then it's, uh, for me, that's the first noble truth. You know, by of, you know, you can be, you be aware when you're discontented, unhappy, wanting things to be different, not wanting things to be the way they are, wanting to go somewhere else, wanting to have your own way, not wanting and wanting. And so this is, uh, you know, so these are like the first, second noble truths not about that you shouldn't, it's not about should or shouldn't, it's about recognizing. And that recognizing is, uh, uh, you have to use dukkha, but most people have to start with the fact that they admit they're suffering in some way. Very few uh, people I know can start from the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. <laughs> and that's why the Buddha is, uh, First sermon was not about the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. It's about there is dukkha, there is the causes, there is the end, there is the path. So, you know, there are individuals that have that insight already, uh, unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. But the Four Noble Truths, its aim is for those that that maybe that might have even had it at some time or flashes of it or never had it but maybe had a sense had some kind of intuition ability to to see the just the dreariness of uh, conditioning as you get older you, you become tired of yourself and I became, by the time I was 30, I was so fed up with, with the repetitious thoughts and the vanity and the self-obsessions I had. It was pretty boring to keep repeating it over. It's like you're caught in a trap where it just says the same thing over and over again. And, uh, you know, so that this is, that was a awakening to suffering, the first noble truth. Now this investigation of these truths, it's very clearly stated, that's not, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's very well stated in the scripture, the first sermon, the Tamajaka Pawatana Sutta, for a first sermon, it's perfect, actually. Uh, it's a brilliant sutta, the first sermon of, that the 
Lord Buddha gave to his five friends at Varanasi, at Saranath. And it's brilliant because it, you know, his first sermon and then everything uh, developed from that, that first sermon. There is suffering, there are the causes of suffering, the origin of suffering, the end of suffering, and the way of non-suffering. And so, uh, you know, I've often thought, if, the, if all the other, if everything else was lost, you know, all the other, the whole Tripitaka was burned and destroyed, and there was nothing left of but only the Tamajaka Pawatana Sutta, that would still be enough. For any of us, if we use it for investigation, if we just hang it on the wall and worship it in a bookcase or something, or, or just be able to chant "Tuka Samudhayo Niroda Maga" like that, well, then it, you know, that's better than not having anything. At least it's a skillful uh, karma you're making, but it's not liberating till you actually investigate it, use it. Prove it. You know, it's a challenge. Prove it. Well, you know, something you, you can... It, it's about insight. It's not about belief. So taking uh, dukkha as the first noble truth is, uh, you know, it's the most ordinary, common experience that we all can relate to. Nothing kind of subtle or, or esoteric about it. It's so ordinary, so banal, that it, it you know, it, it, we, we think of why, why did the Buddha make dukkha, suffering, the first noble truth? Why didn't he make love the first truth? You know, why, why, does, uh, why does Buddhism always point to this, every, uh, all conditions are suffering? Because you know, it's more inspiring, isn't it, to say every uh, love is our true nature and, and talk about love, which tends to inspire the mind. But the uh, dukkha can't, you know, if we, just, if we just grasp the concept of dukkha and say everything's suffering, it's all miserable, uh, life is cruel, brutal, Pointless, don't cling to anything, it tends to, towards being depressing. Or, as a noble truth, it's not about uh, depression as the ultimate reality and annihilation, but using this common experience in a different way, rather than grasping it or operating or dismissing it, investigating it, understanding letting go of the causes, realizing the absence. So that third noble truth, realizing when, when suffering, when you've let go of suffering or let go of dukkha. Now that's mindfulness. You can't do that through Sakyaditi. You can't make yourself let go of suffering as an act out of Sakyaditi. You can kind of fool yourself sometimes into thinking you have let go of suffering. But that can be more sakyaditi, you know, thinking I, I no longer suffer uh, as some kind of uh, identity or the way that one can believe one's own views. But it, it's not about adopting this sense of, uh, you know, that I don't suffer, but there is suffering. It causes are due to ignorance of these noble truths. And so then the, the Arahant is the individual who's realized the Four Noble Truths, and there are three aspects to each truth, twelve insights. So the, the Arahant isn't about it's, and, and that, to be able to do that, to, to have penetrated 
and had the insights into those noble truths is not about achieving and taste, it's about letting go, of relinquishing, of opening. So this, uh, this sense of the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, you can't, you can't will that. You know, it's not something you can make happen. You have to let go of everything. So this sense of, of awareness is not a kind of jhana or dependent state where all the, the kind of uh, coarse and frustrating, irritating conditions are minimal. It's even in the midst of the inferno that there's this, there is yeah, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And that's recognized through relinquishing everything, letting go, in other words. The second noble truth is about letting go of the causes of suffering. It's not about destroying anything. It's not annihilation. And so, it's, and letting go then is, is relinquishing. They use the word like abandoning. Abandon relinquishing, letting go, rather than getting, achieving, attaining. You see, so it's a, it's a totally different thing than any worldly endeavor. You know, it's not about becoming an arahant, being rewarded with arahantship for being a good monk or nun. It's about relinquishing, letting go of the causes of suffering in order to realize non-suffering. Now that's intuitive awareness, isn't it? That's intuition is, is our ability to observe. And so when I say the Pachubanantamma, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, I don't want you to try to define it or figure it out. You know, the, to think about it, but too, it's a, it's a reminder of letting go, relinquishing, observing. Letting go also means you're accepting whatever you're feeling. You're not, it's not about uh, pushing or resisting, but opening, accepting, observing. So that this whole ethos of the Samana life is about relinquishing. not attaining, not achieving. And see, and this is where people get so confused because the sotapanna sounds like an attainment. I want to attain stream entry, you know, before I die, so I don't have to be, you know, then I'll have only seven more rebirths. That's sakyaditi, isn't it? Or if I make enough merit, I don't think I can ever make arahantship in this life. Uh, I think if I make a lot of merit, then at least, you know, I can get reborn in a, in a deva realm. And so that sounds like a, that sounds pretty good, deva realms. And so, you know, these are, it's still sakya ditti, isn't it? Being a Devada is, is still Sakya Ditti. They still have Sakya Ditti, Devadas. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it's probably nicer form of Sakya Ditti than most of us have. <laughs> but it's still ignorance of, of the Dhamma, of ultimate reality, of the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So these, these uh, you know, like the tradition of the Samana, the Bhikkhu, the Siladhara, the Anagarikas, any kind of commitment to the restraining. Then the, the Bhikkhu Siladhara forms are, are relinquishing, um, 
you know, the, the, we become alms mendicants. We depend on the goodness of others for our basic survival. Anagarikas, anagarikas can still have money and, and uh, own property and all this. I mean, so it's, it's still a, it's a, a brahmacharya giving up uh, uh, intentional uh, sex, sexual behavior, brahmacharya, celibacy, but the, the eight precepts does not prevent you from uh, having money, having, owning property. So the ten precepts, the samaneras, siladaras, the bhikkhus, and this is where the, the relinquishment of rights over money and which is throwing us into, into this position of dependency on the goodness of others. So when we reflect on that, my life is dependent on the goodness of other people. You know, basic requisites for shelter, food, clothing, and medicine for illness. <clears throat> So that's a relink. It's not about attaining and achieving, is it? Becoming something better. It's about using this convention as an act of trust, isn't it? It's a, it's a, to let go of right to have money and position and power and property and security in the worldly way. I mean, we're culturally conditioned for the opposite. And it's going against every, every American cultural attitude that, I've, that, I, that affects me. You know, it's, you know, what I, you know, what Americans don't want is to be dependent. We don't want to depend for a basic necessity. Like, I don't want to be dependent on another monk to have to draw water from a well. I would like to have pumps on the well or put in proper plumbing into Wat Bapong, modern plumbing, where you could have water from the tap. And then, that would be easier than pumps. And then have my own ensuite bathroom, which I have now, <laughs> where <laughs> an electric hot water kettle, <laughs> so much easier here in England. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it makes me more independent. I don't need to go and get uh, one of the monks to help me get water. I just get it myself, boil it myself, make my own coffee. And so it's, uh, you know, it makes life more convenient in that way. But it also, you know, it's to be used, not seen as, as a right we have, you know, that I have a right to this. It's, it's, uh, it is offered by the lay community. These electric uh, uh, water kettles are offerings from the lay community. It's not, I have a right to one. Or I have a right to have, uh, you know, proper bathroom or anything like that. It, it, it will reflect that. So then, uh, then we, you know, then our use of the, the things that are offered are done from gratitude rather than from, <clears throat> uh, you know, thinking that, or not taking, just ignoring it or just being, uh, taking it for granted. Or maybe you don't like, maybe somebody gave you an electric uh, water kettle that isn't exactly what you wanted. Maybe it's not the particular brand that you really like. And so then we, <laughs> you know, the layperson, they got me the wrong kettle. I didn't... <laughs> That's the complaining mind, or to see that, you know, how we do have 
our habit about I want this, I didn't, I didn't want that. But then to reflect that everything that we have is offered by the kindness of the lay community. This place itself, Amravati, is made available to us through the generous donations of the lay community. It's not mine, my monastery. What, what is, you know, in terms of what's mine, we, as, as monks, we have the requisites, what, the robes, <clears throat> the food in the alms bowl, medicine for the illness, shelter for the night. That, that we can say is our personal possessions that we can, you know, that, that are still offered by others. So this is, a life of a samana is like this, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, and this is how we reflect. It's humbling because, you know, we, we can live like princes and princesses. And that we can, you know, I have an appointment with the doctor. I need to get a ride. I need somebody to drive me to Birkenstead is taken for granted here uh, as, a, you know, our right and privilege that, that there's drivers here, we have a car, and they should drive me to see my doctor in Berkhamsted today. This is just assumed uh, in this community as, a, as our right that the drivers, we have a dr driver, we have a chauffeur and a car to take us to Berkhamsted or wherever. This is Sakya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa Vitikita. Anybody of the lay people or any of you who have been in charge of transportation know what a headache it is because Sometimes we can just be so uninsensitive and ungrateful because we, we think it's our right, it's there for me. It's your duty to drive me to, to see the doctor in Berkhamsted. That's not the mindset of a samana. I mean, it's an understandable one. You know, I don't, not that I've never had such thoughts or assumptions, <laughs> but and that's the point of being a summonized to reflect that. Is that is that what I'm here for? You know, is that is, is that assumption using this can, these this situation for relinquishing, for liberation, for realizing the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, or is it that I'm using a system? you know, kind of blindly. I think we all have good intentions. I don't know any one of you uh, monastics who have, you know, have bad intentions about it or, you know, or just, you know, maliciously using the system for your own benefit. But the thing with uh, higher standards uh, and luxuries that we have here is that it's so easy to take it for granted when we're from societies that we're used to it. We're used to having our own car, our rights, our, you know, because we, we are dependent on the lay community, we have to see the doctor, then <clears throat> it's the duty of the lay people to provide the transportation. So it can be this sense of you should and your duty is rather than, than uh, the, the mind of the samana the sense of gratitude, reflecting that, that, I, that my life depends on the kindness, good intentions of, of others, of the lay people. And that is like this, the four, reflection on the four requisites insight into the Four Noble Truths. 
and this and, and being content with what is offered rather than grumbling, complaining, demanding. And the, even though these are very human reactions, the, the point of the life is to be able to see that, the suffering of attaching to complaining, grumbling, <coughs> the self-view, the sakya ditti, as it manifests in our lives, or the, the assumptions that, that we've acquired through cultural conditioning, social conditioning, or just the force of habit of our thoughts, our views and opinions, our language. So this, this uh, Sita, uh, Sakyaditi Sita Bhattabharamasa is the, the first three fetters that, that uh, are the obstruction to seeing the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So hopefully during this retreat, you know, this uh, an encouragement to, <coughs> to do that, to use this this convention for liberation and, and uh, you know so that whatever conceits or opinions uh, fears and desires uh, uh, whatever arise justified or not maybe you're just neurotic and need psychotherapy maybe <coughs> you know people are being difficult or unkind or you know, stubborn or blaming, but it's all, you know, everything in our life then is for reflection, seeing the suffering. If I'm suffering, it's not, you know, and I blame you, even if you are persecuting me, you know, it's, it's this seeing the suffering is my not wanting of, of, uh, being angry with you for being insensitive and unkind to me. You know, so we're getting to the causes of suffering. The, the external causes, like somebody bullies me or, or abuses me externally, that, you know, I'm, I didn't particularly ask for it maybe, but somebody just comes and kicks me or calls me a dirty name or something. I can't control that, you know, I can't, you know, expect the world to, to respect me and be sensitive to, to me uh, as a demand on life. But what I can do uh, is observe when somebody accuses me of something I haven't done or abuses me in some way or is insensitive to my feelings. I can see, you know, I, I observe the suffering. <clears throat> my own anger or resentment or aversion to, to being called a bad name or being blamed for something I haven't done is like this. So I hear some of you, you know, whinging about we should all respect one another as samanas and these are the truisms of the life, you know, it's certainly we should all respect each other. But that can also, you know, mean that I demand you respect me. We should, and, uh, and it becomes sakya ditti. Or, when people disrespect me or respect me, there's a witness to that, the puto, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, the refuge in awareness, is the one I, I recommend to exp you know, demand that you respect me or if you, you know, if you respect me or not, that's your business. That has nothing to do with me. <laughs> and uh, so it's, uh, you know, but I can be aware of the effect of respect and disrespect. To see it no longer in a, in a, as personal, you know, if I if I love I love to be respected, and I don't like to be disrespected as a person, and that's sakya ditti. 
So I can see, I know that, I can see it. Still, I like to be treated with respect and I don't like to be disrespected as a person. But that's Sakya did to know that. So even when somebody disrespects you, see it as a, as okay, as an opportunity to see Sakyaditi in yourself, to, to be able to spot it. You know, to see the sense of myself, you, you, you should respect me and you don't, is like this. You know, so you, your, your position of puto tamo sankho increases the strength of, and confidence in the being this unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, rather than somebody who demands respect. So this is the last day of the retreat and of the formal retreat. The remainder after today is uh, it's still uh, not the end of March, so it's uh, you have time to pretty much practice on your own, giving you the opportunity uh, without any kind of uh, structures uh, that you have to, to follow other than, you know, the, the community life out of necessity.